myself. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm the pastor here, and we're glad that you joined us. A uh, bit of a different day uh, as far as uh, sermon focus and, and routine uh, for us. If, if, uh, if, again, if you're just joining us, we generally sp- uh, just walk through books of the Bible. We're in the middle of a series on Ecclesiastes right now, and so uh, that's where we've been. That's where we'll be back next week, and so uh, it's been fun and I think helpful, um, and so we invite you uh, to to come back and, and check that out, and I just wanted you to know it's, it's a bit of a, a unique deal. It is uh, Foster Care Awareness Month in May, and I know that that's cheap. I feel like there's a day for, like, everything, right? You see on Facebook, it's like National Donuts Day or National Sharpened Pencils Day, and I'm just like, I don't know why I care about all, the, like, who makes these up and what am I supposed to do about it? Uh, you're just overusing these things where our culture has to make note of all these things, and so... There's nothing, like, the Bible doesn't mandate maybe uh, foster care awareness month, okay? Um, It's not even on the historical church calendar. Um, However, um, we we do uh, hold it as a spot for us to um, uh, remember and for us to take a moment and focus uh, because we feel like while the Bible doesn't say you got to do that in May in a certain way, um, the Bible is very clear that we as God's people um, are called to engage with the vulnerable and the broken that are around us. In fact, like there's some really sobering judgment passages. Um, if you look in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah 58, God calls his people to account for coming to church time and time again while they're stepping over broken people on their way. And he tells them, stop coming. Like, if that's what you're going to do, stop coming to church. Stop singing your songs, stop giving your offerings, because it's making him sick. Uh, Matthew 25 uh, is a very sobering passage about, you know, God's people being confronted. Even on Judgment Day, God's saying, okay, you know, you people who the world kind of didn't think was doing anything significant, you're being rewarded because whenever I was broken, whenever I was hurting, whenever I was hungry, I didn't have clothes, you met my needs. And they're going, I, I didn't know we did that. He goes, yeah, when you did that for the least of these, you were doing it for me. And then there were religious, pious people that were like, and, and he goes, Actually, I never knew you because when I was in need, you didn't, you didn't show up. And they're like, when did we see you in need? And we didn't. And he goes again, when it was the least of these, you refused to do it for me. So you, you, you refused to do it for them, and therefore you were doing that to me. So there is an, a, an overall theme in the scripture about, hey, we will give an account for how we cared about the people that were around us and suffering. And, and there, there's this dichotomy, there's this divide and this, this pressure. All Everybody's just polarized in every way in our culture, and evangelicalism is, is not exempt from that, unfortunately, and, and a lot of Christians are having conversations about, um, you know, how, how much we should be engaged with, with the, the work of social justice versus just preach the gospel, right? Just shut up and preach the gospel, and don't worry about these issues of social um, justice issues, and, and, and you get called social, social justice warriors if you talk about these things. And, and, and listen, there are some right concerns. There are people that are taking things too far and saying, oh, this is the mission of the church. We need to make sure there's, you know, we need to, don't worry about the gospel. Don't worry about calling people to repent and believe in Jesus. Just make sure that people are getting justice and, and we're caring for widows, orphans, and we're engaged in race, racial you know, equality and things like that. And, and, and we should be concerned about anything that hijacks the gospel and replaces it. We should 100% be concerned about that. However, they don't get to push us into polls of saying one or the other, because Jesus doesn't do that. We want to let Jesus be our rudder and our, and our guide of how we engage the world. We want to let the scriptures do that, and we need to be able to be nuanced about, okay, no, social, jo- social justice, caring for vulnerable people, pursuing racial reconciliation, those things are not the gospel. 
but they are 100% implications of the gospel. And so we as God's people don't get to just shut it down because some people are misusing it. We just get to plug our ears and go, no, you know, we don't want to go there. And, and, and so that's not an option for us. So we put this on the calendar, and once, once a year at least, and other times as Scripture leads us to it, we'll do it on Sanctity of Life Sunday too, we want to we sit with this. And I think it's, it's hugely, um, it, it's urgent, and for, for the, the reasons of, of people who are actually suffering, these are not like idealistic somebody out there. There's children right here under our nose. And so many of you have heard the story. You've heard me talk about it. This, this is not new for many of you to know that there is a need, that God cares about it, and we should do something about it. But the reason I chose the passage today that I did um, is because I think beyond that, beyond knowing that there is a need, and there is, and we'll talk about it just briefly later, right here in our area, there's a need, an overwhelming need of kids in, in, in vulnerable places that need us to step up. But there is a need... God does care about it. I, I'm, I'm guessing I don't get any resistance from you all on that. The numbers prove the need. Uh, and nobody would deny that God cares about it. And probably wouldn't even fight me a whole lot to say that we should do something about it. But then when it gets to, like, okay, what is that? What, what do we do about it? That gets a little trickier. And I, and I know that there's honest questions, there's honest fears, there's honest um, hesitation to step further into that. And so I, I just want to let God's word encourage us from where we are, and maybe to take one step closer to where he's leading us this morning. So, so that's a really, uh, I, I think, a simple response at the end, an opportunity for us to take one step closer. And so that's my hope and my heart. Uh, today we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna kind of start and end with this passage from Matthew 19, uh, but we're, we're going to go over and visit James chapter 1 as well. So if you want to find that and hold your finger there, we're going we're gonna to go uh, to that passage, which is famous as well. But uh, I want us to, to start here because as, as we are confronted with a need, and we're confronted with, okay, we should do something about that, uh, this brings us right back to the upside-down kingdom, the, the radical way that God calls us to live our life. And it's on display here in this passage. Now, specifically, Jesus has just talked to the rich young ruler, and you may know that story. Uh, there's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus saying, hey, how do I get eternal life? How do I get saved? What, what do I need? To? And, and he specifically says, if you flip back just a little bit further, in, in um verse 16 of Matthew 19, he says, hey, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is so brilliant with his response to all of these questions. And, and, and instead of just answering, he asks him some questions, right? And he goes, well, you know, wh why, do you, why do you ask me? Why do you call me good? Like, and, and what is good, right? And, and he says, if you want to in inherit uh, eternal life, just follow the commandments. And that guy goes, well, which ones? And Jesus lists, you know, um, List off, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man says, well, I've, I've been doing that, so what still do I lack? And Jesus said to him, well, if you would be perfect, then go and sell your, go sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. Jesus goes on to tell his disciples now, after that guy's gone, he says, listen, this is where we picked up. He says, I, I, I want to tell you, I want you to know, it's only with difficulty that a rich person will enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is not the only time Jesus says this. Repeatedly, he says, it, it is very often our possessions, our comfort, our, our money 
that keeps us from experiencing what God has called us to experience, what God has offered for us, what God is, is, is inviting us into. It is very often our stuff that gets in the way. Again, I tell you, he says, it's easy for a camel to, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so th- this is a bold statement from Jesus. I know you've heard it. It's churchified. But I want you to listen there with Jesus as he's talking to his disciples. This is bold. And so his disciples naturally have some questions, as would, as would you and I. And they, they go, well, okay. Um, verse 25, when they heard this, they're greatly astonished, right? So they're, they're kind of, oftentimes they're scratching their head at what Jesus says. If you ever read the Bible and you're confused, you're in good company. So were the disciples all the time. Jesus is saying something and they're just like, I mean, I heard you, but what? Like, and he has to pull, he has these sidebar conversations with them all the time. So take heart. You, if you have to read it again, you got to look it up. You got to ask, you look at your study Bible, ask your pat, like that. There's no shame in that. You're, you're in good company. So they're, they're going, okay, now, okay, um, you said that. So who can be saved? And Jesus goes, well, I mean, with man it's impossible, but with God nothing's impossible. All things are possible. So again, Jesus is not really clearing it up for him. He's going, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's hard, but. That's just with man. You're not going to get there on your own. But with God, he, he can do anything. Peter's like, okay, um, so we left everything and followed you. Then what, what do we got? <laughs> what, how's this ending for us? And there's some, like, we know the spiritual implications. Like, we know the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. We kind of know that where the story ends. But for Jesus, or for Peter and his friends live in that moment, they think Jesus is bringing in a physical kingdom. They think he's going to overturn Rome and reinstate Israel as an earthly kingdom. And so they literally think they're headed toward like cabinet positions in the new kingdom. Okay? So, so Peter has a little bit of a crisis like, okay, well, I mean, we, we kind of quit our jobs, Lord. Um, we left home. I don't know if you noticed, our arrangements aren't great. We all slept in the dirt last night. Like, um, how's this end for us? This is an, it's, it's an, this is a, it's an honest question from Peter. Okay, in a, in a real time, like this is not ethereal, like you know, church. Oh, like what is it going to cost you? No, Peter. Peter wants to know, like, hey, you need to give us some assurance. Like, what does this mean for us? Because we have left everything. What do we got? Verse twenty-eight. And Jesus says, "Well, let me let me just tell you truly. Let me tell you the truth." In the new world, if you were here last week, we talked about, in the context of work, we talked about the, the big narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And, and the, big, the big idea that you need to know for this passage is that, that, that Jesus, like, the, the goal of the gospel of Jesus is not to preach the gospel so that you can receive the gospel and he can get you out of earth and into heaven so that he can get rid of this thing that's messed up. His plan actually is, is to get us into the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is going to come to earth one day. The stuff that's messed up about the world is what Jesus is going to get rid of, but he's coming to make this earth new again. The good, the new crea- the good creation back in Genesis 1 and 2 is going to be restored. Okay, So he's not wadding this earth up and throwing it away. He's bringing heaven back down here, and he's going to breathe and in a moment, get rid of all of the nasty sin and all of the evil and make this place what it was meant to be, and his people are going to rule with him forever. And this is what he's talking about. So he's saying, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. So this is hard to wrap our minds around a little bit, but in, in Christianity, we are in this moment of already but not yet. Jesus has brought his kingdom, but not fully. So we are, we are in the midst of celebrating being a part of his kingdom, but we haven't seen the full culmination 
of his kingdom. So one day he's going to come back, and when he returns, it's not just going to be to get all his people out of here and then toast this thing. It's going to be to, his, his people are going to come meet him, and then we're going to roar back to this world in, in conquering fashion to, to sit on ruling thrones with him. That's what he's going to tell his people. It's, it's a crazy thing, and it's a bit of a theology twist for many of you. Many of you weren't taught this theology growing up, and so, so this is a bit of a, a different shift, if you will, as to where this is all headed. But he says, in that day, in, in the new world, that, and that, that's, not, that's a, being made new, the same object, the same world, being refined and made new, not, not replaced. And so in the new world, he says, the Son of Man sat on his glorious throne, and you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's talking specifically to them, but he's also talking about mankind being reinstated back into our ruling position that God made us in in the beginning. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, he made us to rule the world. He made all of the trees and the plants and the birds and the beasts and all of the animals, creepy crawly things, all of it, for us to rule over. We were his image bearers. We were his, his, his stand-ins to rule this world. So he's going to be reinstating that, and we're going to rule with him here on this earth. And so they're, they're going to be sitting there, and they're going to have a particular role as, as the apostles. But he's, he's talking about you know, fundamentally restoring mankind back to what it was meant to be. And everyone, and this is where we get really relevant for today, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, What's he say? What? Good luck. Hope, it, you know, hope you weren't too attached. Appreciate the sacrifice. What's he say? No. He says, everybody who's left anything for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What's he mean? What's he saying? He's, he's saying, listen, when you sacrifice for the kingdom, Jesus is saying it over and over again. This is the theme for him. He's saying, you want to find your life? Lay it down. Jesus and, and the gospel is not something you just add in to what you're already doing. You've got an agenda. Let me just add in some religion. Let me add in some, some Jesus, and maybe it'll make all of this better. The, the picture in, in, the, in the Bible of following Jesus is a letting go of everything and a stepping to, forward to grab him and only him. And he's saying, those of us who have done that, what we've let go, we won't grieve for a moment in the new heavens and the new earth. We won't sit back and have regrets and wish that we would have really taken more vacations or really, you know, splurged on that car or really built that dream house or whatever. We won't feel any of that because we're going to receive it back a hundredfold. See, the Bible is actually not as ashamed about us being incentivized by reward as sometimes we've made it out to be. Sometimes we make it feel guilty about, or we make ourselves feel guilty. Church people have made our church people feel guilty about doing stuff for the sake of reward, but the Bible's actually not ashamed of that. He's saying, no, you should be expecting reward, and you should be working toward that end, but you need to make sure that you're seeking the right rewards, the eternal rewards. Those who don't have susceptibility to moth and rust and can't be stolen and taken away here on earth, you put them in heaven, and you're going to enjoy them for eternity. It's going to be awesome. So when he brings back the, the, the creation the way it's meant to be, we're going to get to see all that we've participated in, all that he's been doing. It's going to come, come into a culmination, and we're going to get to enjoy this forever. So you don't get to see the Grand Canyon now. You'll get to see it in the new creation. No big deal, right? You don't have to worry about your bucket list. You'll get to do it then, okay? So, yeah, how those details work out can get really confusing, but, but this is the, the thrust of the Bible. Like, you will not regret letting go of whatever it was 
in order to grasp a hold of Jesus and his kingdom. So this is the this is, this is what he's invited us to. This is the radical life shift that he's put us in. And then he, and he adds in this line, which again kind of summarizes so much of what he's calling us to. He says in verse 30, but, but many who are first will be last and the last first. I'm talking about Jesus. <laughs> this was supposed to be an explanation for the disciples. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they had some more sidebar conversations like, okay, now he said this. What is it? Like, I'm guessing it wasn't super clear for him. But what he's laying out is, listen, when you follow me, it's going to look radically different than what the world says you should be valuing and pursuing. It's going to look radically different. Like going the other direction different. What do you mean, Jesus? Well, what the world values is not what we value. What the world says we should pursue is not what we should pursue. See, see, the world, like, the message we've been ingrained to us in our American, you know, dream, like, culture that we've been shaped is, hey, get a good job, you know, get that degree, get a good job, work, and, and save as much money, retire as soon as you can so that you can enjoy the comforts of life. Well, if you've been here with us for Ecclesiastes, Solomon's saying, spoiler alert, those are going to disappoint You think that's what's going to lead you to satisfaction. And so that, that mentality just keeps pushing the finish line a little further and a little further and a little further, doesn't it? Because how much is enough? Well, just a little bit more, right? Jesus is saying, no, no, don't, don't have that little further mentality. Have a right now mentality. I'm going all in on Jesus. And then you get to enjoy that forever. And so it's, it's a radical life shift that he calls us to. Okay, so, so that's, that's part of the context that I want us to see, that anything we give up in the pursuit of Jesus and his kingdom and what he calls us to, we, we will not be grieving and mourning and having regrets in, in heaven. We, we won't be thinking, man, I wish I would have done that, or on our deathbed, man, I wish I would have I really spent some more money or earned some more, saved some more, worked longer, whatever, like fill in the blank. You won't have that. You'll receive it back a hundredfold. And here's why I start with that. Because we're looking at need as overwhelming as the crisis in front of us with vulnerable children. If we're going to be obedient and step in, it's going to cost us. It just will. And so I want you to hear from Jesus that it will be worth it. But I want you to hear, too, that it will cost. It will cost. I want, I want to share with you just, just some thoughts from the, the three or, or so foster families that are active, you know, actively fostering our church. I just started a thread this week, and I said, hey, what, what, are, some, what are the things you sacrifice? What, what does it cost you to foster and I'm sure it would be similar if I asked those who are adopted. And, 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 and we don't want to put fostering up as, as higher than adopting. Like we, we just want to put that as a, as a real present need in our area. Um, obviously, all life has values. Those of you feeling called to adopt overseas or have done that, this, this is the same conversation. All, all life has values. I, I just think that there is a, uh, a subtlety to the reality under our nose right here in Williamson County in Southern Illinois where we don't realize the crisis is so... Um, acute right here. 
And so that, that's why we're focusing. We don't mean to say that fostering is better than a- adopting internationally. We're all in for that too. I've said you, you feel called to adopt here like we as, the, as a church are going to m- meet that financial need. We're all in with you. So, so I just want to say that. But, but as, we, as we're talking about foster care, I just asked, I said, hey, what, what do you sacrifice? What have you given up? And um, I think at least uh, maybe all three of the mamas said sanity real quick. Like, what have you sacrificed in this fostering deal? It was like sanity, right? It was like a, it was like a triggered reaction. Um, other, things they've, other things they mentioned is uh, sleep, just real practically. Um, I know for my family, we, we would have been out, like, my youngest biological daughter is seven now. So we would have been out of uh, diapers and middle-of-the-night wake-ups a long time ago if we weren't in the world of fostering. But at this point, we've been in perpetual diaper season for a long time. And I got a two-year-old that sleeps like an infant right now. He's the worst sleeper we've ever had. My wife's an amazing sleep, sleep, sleep trainer, and all our kids have slept through the night by like eight or nine weeks. This kid still going strong with three or four wake-ups a night, right? He's two years old. So uh, that's the reality, right? Diapers, like uh, there's another family. So it had been eight and a half years of their life, they've had someone under three in their house. That's just perpetual diapers, body training and diapers. Prolonged freedom from that toddler stage, right? There's a lot that comes with the toddler stage, and it's so fun, but it's straight up exhausting, right? Like we laugh at our toddlers every day and smile at their craziness and shake our heads, and, we, and it's, there's a lot of joy. But there's also a lot of chaos, right? Like you can't go to restaurants. Or if you do, people are real glad when you leave. Right? And you're like, why did I just spend $100 to be miserable and yell at everybody? Right, That was terrible. I didn't even get to eat the food. Right, There's a lot that comes with that toddler stage. Y'all, y'all see me after church just chasing, me and my wife are just chasing our boys. Like We're trying to have conversations. They're just running around, trying to play the drums. It's just... We could be done with that. We could, like, we could have been. Um, convenience. Routine. Bringing a, a child into your home that's in foster care, bust up your routine. Right? Why? Because that, there's court-mandated visits. There's uh, other appointments, maybe services, like, you know, early intervention. Um, there's just all sorts of things that are, that are now a part of your routine that weren't a part of your routine. Um, inspections, all those things. Privacy, right? Caseworkers got to know when you're leaving the state. They're going to stop by and check out your house. They're going to they're going to want to know if they've gone to this doctor's appointment. If there are your medicines locked up, uh, do you have your uh, is your water temperature the right temperature? You know, all of these things that just get invaded upon. Your space changes, right? You got to make room. You got to have a certain arrangements. The state says, okay, you can't have a kid unless they have this much space and they have a, a window in their bedroom. They got to be this far apart from another kid and they can't sleep in that room if that kid's a gender, you know, gender difference. There's a lot of regulations and things you got you to you meet for them to even give you, you know, allow you to have a kid, which we can appreciate. Just need to say, like, we want to appreciate the state's, you know, attention to detail here. We don't want them to be flippant about where they place children. I, I, I just want to caveat that. But nonetheless, can be a little frustrating. Um, sacrifice date nights. Uh, comfort. Um, safety, sometimes. Innocence for our other kids. We've had conversations with other kids about drugs and you know, baby's out of wedlock, and 
you know, dad's not showing up. Things that we wouldn't have talked to him about probably outside of this. Uh, 10th anniversary trips, <laughs> other vacations, um, time. But then more specifically, I think the bigger cost to come in, in things like safe hearts, like things we've given up or safety in our hearts, meaning we, to do this, you have to really put yourself out there. You have to really be willing to be hurt because there is the reality that these kids, when they come into care, the goal is for them to go back home. So that means you're going to have to say goodbye. There's a risk there, risk in loving that, that you, could really, you could really get hurt. Uh, relationships are changed. Sometimes extended family doesn't know what to do with your kids from hard places. So they just kind of stop showing up. Grandmas and grandpas maybe don't know what to do. Friends don't know what to do with your kids' big behaviors. So they don't come around as much. Or they don't invite you over as much. These are real, these are not from me. These are real quotes from people in our church doing this work. Um, there's plenty more. Control, right? States making decisions, judges are making decisions. You don't agree with, you're not sure about. Doesn't matter, right? It, it, it's, it's out of your hands. You, you have to be willing to let go of control. So, so those are just, that's just a snapshot of these things. And, and so, like, as, as we say, hey, there's a need, and we, I think God's people should be the ones to say yes to this need. You need to know, like, oh, there's a cost coming. There's a cost coming. So why would we do it? Because in reality, our, our, our culture, everything about our, our you know, just, security, instinctual tendencies in ourselves. We see hard things. We see risk. We see, um, you know, cost. We're, we're kind of wired to remove ourselves and insulate and, and pull away, aren't we? And the world would even, like, we've kind of been set up to do that, saying, listen, you need to do better for yourself so that you don't have to experience those hardships, so you don't have to have that heartache, so you're able to provide for your family, so you're able to get out of that, that mess. And so we're kind of taught to distance ourselves, if you will. So why would we step in? Why would we then? If it's, not a if it's not the primary gospel issue and it's going to cost us, then why would we step in? If you would, flip over to James chapter 1, verse 27. This is a famous verse. You can probably quote it with me. But I want your eyes on it and I want you to see it because I, I think while it is famous, I, I don't know if we've grasped the full um, intent of what is being said here. James 1, 27 says this, famously, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, again, it's, it's on t-shirts for adoption. It's been used regularly, and, and you're probably aware of it. You're not surprised to hear it. And some would even say, okay, there's a clear command in here that, that we should be doing this. And, and the reality is it's actually not a command. That what, what actually this verse is, is actually a description. This is actually a description of what it looks like when people have been radically changed by the gospel, by Jesus' work. What do they do? What, how can you know them? 
This is a description of that. See, the, the, this, this word religion right here, it, it has a different meaning in our context. We're thinking about which religion are we checking on a box of, you know, are we, are we Muslim, are we Buddhist, are we Hindu, you know, or are we Christian? Well, true religion, son defiled before God, looks like this. And so we, we think about it in those terms. But in reality, this, this, this word religion here, the way that he is describing it, and if you scan up just a little bit, you're going to see the heading in most of your Bibles is going to say, hearing and doing the word. And just a few verses before is the famous passage about we shouldn't just be hearers, but also be doers of the word. And what James is saying is, listen, if you're going to claim the name of Jesus and, and you want to live a life that represents Jesus, you need to make sure that you are not just coming and hearing the word, not just checking the box of being a Bible studier, but actually a Bible doer, that you, that you live out what's put before you. And so he's warning against this empty religion where we, we say we are, but we don't look like Jesus. We say we're following him, but we're not going anywhere where he went. James is warning against that. And so the, the idea, this word religion here means an outward life or an outward action and display of life that reflects an inward reality. It, and what, he, what he's saying is religion that's pure and undefiled before God sees and moves toward the most vulnerable in their community. So this says widows and orphans. He's not making an exclusion. Like, these are the only people that the church should, should, share, should care about, right? For, for them in this context, these are the most vulnerable people in their historical context. Widows did not have a means to care for themselves if there wasn't, uh, if, if there wasn't a husband or an older son. Like, they, they, were, they were going to be um, left out to dry in that culture, in that society. So it was the church's job to care for them. Uh, orphans, the, the same way. So ours looks different. In America, we don't have orphans. Praise God. I think in a, in a good way, we have a different system that, that doesn't leave them in an orphanage and doesn't leave. But, but nonetheless, what he's describing here is vulnerable children. And so the, the most vulnerable in our societies, our communities, he says that, that we as Christians should be a people who, who, who see that and we move toward it. That idea of visiting is, is a moving toward, a stepping in. And so he's saying, hey, religion that's pure and undefiled, Looks like that. So, so here, back to this conversation about pro-life and, and all of these things. If you're following the news right now, obviously, there's, it's a huge historical moment in our country where Roe v. Wade is set to be overturned this summer, or it's seeming to head in that, that, that direction. And because of the leak, now there's already all this firestorm and debate. But if you listen to that debate from uh, the, the, uh, the, the pro-choice movement, there, there's, I've seen, I don't even go looking for this stuff, but just in headlines, I've seen a lot of quotes about how religious beliefs don't need to be a part of our policy making. And what, what they're saying, the pro-choice movement is saying, hey, just because a few people are Christians and their religious beliefs say that we shouldn't be able to exercise our abortive rights, this is America, it's a free country, we don't need to bring their religious stuff into our policy. And then the reality is, here just, just as a side note, abortion is not a religious issue, it's a doggone life issue, okay? So, so like science is on our side there, that's just, liber that's just propaganda. And, and so we could talk about that another time, and we, Chad and I did some podcasts about that. Like, we, we've been there, done that, we, and I'm, I'm more than glad to talk more about that. But, but what I want to say is, when you hear that, when you hear them throwing in that word religion, if you're like me, that just frustrates you a little bit, or a lot of bit. Right, because they're trying to misrepresent us as, uh, as just these few bigot people you know, with fundamentalist views that want to put that on everybody. 
And, and if you're like me, you kind of want to like, give me a mic. Let me tell, like, I want to tell the world like what, what Jesus is actually about, what Jesus' people are actually about. But, and, and so there, there's that tendency to want to correct. But here's what James says. You want to show them what Jesus is actually about? You want to put on the clearest display of the gospel for the watching world? It's less about policy and more about how do we live our life. Because if we see the bustedness of our world, vulnerable children, aborted children, the men and women who are in a situation of unwanted pregnancy, the children that have been pulled out of their home by state uh, workers because they're not safe there, if we see all of that type of, of stuff, and our reaction is to pull away personally, but to speak up politically. There's an emptiness to that that James is warning us against. And so instead, what James is saying, if you want to show the world who Jesus is, then we treat the world the way Jesus treated it. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, the gospel story is one of us being the vulnerable. I don't know if you know that. But the story of us, of our lives, of, his, of, of creation, is of God's people being made in a good, great relationship with God and us busting out of that bond through our sins and being out on a, a, an island without hope, without ability to get ourselves back to him. We are vulnerable beyond description. So much so that Ephesians doesn't even say like we're struggling and about to drown. It says we're straight up dead. Dead people don't pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I don't know if you know that. It just doesn't work because they're dead. But Ephesians says, that's who you are without Jesus. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You have no hope of a life beyond this one. You are dead. And God is, is, is here, and, and he's watching that. And God had every opportunity and every right to say, that's not my problem. I did my part they need to figure it out. You realize that, right? He could, have, he could have just pushed away and said, I'm not getting my hands dirty. That's their mess. But he didn't, did he? He decided to do something about it. But more than that, you know what he, you know what he didn't do? He didn't just snap his fingers and fix our mess, did he? And he could have. He could have. And, and you know what? This is part of the tension. When it comes to caring for kids in hard places, so often we think, man, if I could adopt them, I could fix it. If they could just get to a good home. And so often when we bring a kid home or a family we know brings a kid home from a hard place, whether that's an orphanage in China or a drug house in, in, in energy, we, we, we think, oh, well, they're with a good family now. There's and, and, and we inadvertently say things like, well, they're so blessed to have you, or they're so lucky to have you all. Well, no, they're not. Their life is a doggone wreck because of sin. So we need to be able to grieve that rightly. And to come alongside those families who said, no, I know this wasn't plan A, but we're here. We love you. We got you. And God can heal and redeem and, and do a work in that. But no, that wasn't. They're not, they're not lucky. They're, 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 
They're harmed and they're vulnerable. And so sometimes we think, okay, just get them to us. Just get them in the good environment and they'll be fixed. That's not the reality. I don't have the stats, but man, the majority of foster parents quit within their first year because it's hard. And that's not the reality. Getting the kid out of the bad environment and into your environment doesn't automatically fix them. Why? Because they've been wounded. They've been hurt. Could talk about this for days, but it, just real quick as a side note, like it's, it's kind of this deal. If you brought in a kid who had been hurt on the football field and, and shattered his knee on the football field, uh, when he, just taking him off the football field, you wouldn't expect him to be okay now, right? Like that would be foolish. Okay, hey, well, you're not on the field anymore. Could you suck it up and walk, please? You wouldn't do that. You're going to expect that kid to be in a cast and get surgery if he needs it, right? And then after that, he's going to be in a cast for a little bit longer. And then after that, he's going to start doing therapy. And after doing therapy, he's going to start walking a little bit and then a little bit more, right? And it makes sense to us. Nobody's mad at that kid for not being able to walk after he got off the football field, are they? It makes sense. Why? Because we can see that harm. These kids from hard places, their wounds are not visible to our eyes. You see, they look okay physically, but their little hearts and their very actual practical brains are not okay. You see, God designed us to be raised in a family with a mom and a dad, with, with a mom meeting our need. When we cry, mom feeds us, dad feeds us. When we poop ourselves, they change our diaper, right? Whenever we need something, they get it for us. They, and when we're doing that, our brain is developing in a healthy way. When you take any of those aspects out and children are crying and their needs aren't being met, when they're in uh, extended traumatic periods, when they're in orphanages, one of the most haunting things is to, is to hear stories of people going to orphanages and hear the silence. Why? Because the children have stopped crying. That does something to the brain. So these kids, they're not going to be able to come in and just fall in line with your children or with our children and start acting right. They're going to need healing. They're going to need us to go above and beyond. They're going to need us to give them the things that they missed. And it's going to cost us. It's going to make Journey Kids look different. Some of y'all noticed that. Some of y'all left there shaking your heads because you don't know what to do with that kid. That kid needs you to do what Jesus did to you and condescend to their level, meet them there, and say, let me, let me love you like Jesus loved me. I'm not going to wait until you're fixed, until you behave right. I'm going to love you right here, right now. Because Romans 5.8 says that's how Jesus loved us, while we were still sinners, Die for us. He could have just snapped his fingers, but instead he enters into the mess and he walks with us. So foster care is not about getting kids out of bad situations and hiding them from their bio parents. That's not how Jesus loved us. He stepped off his throne. He condescended into our mess and he said, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. Your burdens are my burdens. Your brokenness is my brokenness. So, because of that, that being the gospel, our Jesus loving us that way, he wants 
us, if we want to show the world what religion is like, you want to show the world who pro-life people really are. Carbondale, Illinois is about to get a, get a doggone abortion clinic, and people are going to take the Amtrak in and drive in from Nashville and just get their abortions because we're a destination place. Well, listen, along with that comes a watching world going, what is, what, what is the church going to do? They say they don't want these babies to be boarded, aborted. They say they want these babies to be born. What are they going to do? So what if we say, well, I can't speak for everybody, but what we're going to do with the journey is we're going to step toward that brokenness. We're going to see and step toward. We're going to, we're going to step in the way that Jesus has stepped in for us. You say, Jordan, what does that look like? Well, I don't know for all of you. There are some legitimate reasons that, that, people, that not all of you should foster. I know that. But here's what I'm asking us to do. Will we see and take a step toward? Here's what I want you to see. I got some stats. I want to mention these big ones. I want to zoom in on the one on the far right. Because this is the forest. You get lost there. I want us to zoom in on the trees in just a moment. United States, over 400,000 kids in foster care. Illinois, 21,000 kids currently in care. Uh, the counties that Restore Network serves, I realize I haven't given a lot of explanation for those of you who are new. Restore Network is a partner ministry. It's not a journey ministry. It's a partner ministry of, of, of lots of partner churches. We have 41, I think, across six to seven counties. Um, and, and it's a partner ministry to bring churches together, to call God's people into this, to equip them, and to wrap around with support. Um, so, so we, we want to look at God's people to be the answer to this, not the, not the public, right? That's, that's Restore's mission is to call God's people and equip them, walk with them, and, and it's beautiful. It's working, right? So I said earlier, most foster parents don't last a year. Restore's foster parents do. They last longer. Most kids end up in four or five different homes. We, we, had a, we met a couple yesterday that it's about to take an eight-year-old who came into care when he was two. They will be his 14th home. Illinois is really bad at permanency. I, 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 I got to stay focused. There's just a lot there. But, but with Restore Families, those kids bounce around less. They disrupt less. They stay in a home. With the support, with the training, with the equipping that Restore provides, these kids are able to stay in one home instead of bouncing around to multiple. So it's working. It's a beautiful ministry that's working. And the church gets to step right in. They've done the work. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. So, uh, so, so that's the counties, that Madison, St. Clair, Bond, Monroe, Jersey, I might be missing one, and us. That's Restores counties as of now. It's expanding all the time. Rest just Williamson County. You know, we're regional. You could say Williamson County, but we're, it's a region, right? So uh, Restores, Williamson County branch kind of serves all the surrounding counties. So every, with Williamson and the counties that touch it, so Jackson, Franklin, Saline, all those, Johnson, right? Whatever the counties that just touched Williamson, in those counties, there are 600 kids in care right now, today. About 200 of those are in Williamson alone. Now, that means they're in care, meaning they got placed in a home in Williamson County. That's not all the ones from our counties. Because sometimes they get pulled out of a home in our county, and there's no home for them here, so they have to get placed elsewhere. That's not counting here. This is just the ones who stayed in our county. So, so these are kids like, okay, so, so the need is real. I think I've, I've made this clear before. If you're new and you want to know more about the need, we can do that. In fact, there's a clear call to action at the end. But 
But the, the reality is still true that caseworkers are spending the night with kiddos in the agency office because there's nowhere for them to go. The reality is still true that my phone rings often asking if I can take a kid, and I have to say no because our fa- I have to know our family's boundaries and, and, and say no. Right? And that's regular, often, not occasional. This is in our area. Sibling groups are being split up because if they can find homes for them, it won't be all together. Right? There, there is a heartbreaking need. So what will it take for us to see them and actually see them be confronted with this reality and take a step toward it. You say, Jordan, are you asking me to foster? I'm asking you to consider it. Again, some of you have very legitimate reasons why that's not a good idea. I'm not going to guilt you into that. That's not going to work out well for any of us. But here's the action step. Here's where I just want us to, to land. Simple response today. Final slide. I think, go ahead and throw that up, Miranda. I want to invite you to a one-on-one workshop. I want to invite all of you, to a one-on-one workshop. Here's what this is. This is a no-pressure, informational workshop. Two hours, June 5th. We're going to do it right here. Plan on doing it in that room. I'd love to have to do it in this room. You say, Jordan, you can't really expect all of us to want to foster. Again, I'm asking you to see the need, and will you step toward it? This is a no-pressure, informational workshop. Okay? You do not leave there with any kind of, you don't get a kid, right? You're not going to leave there June 5th with a kid. And you're not even going to leave there with, with like, nobody's going to pressure you and call you and follow up. This is not a sales tactic. We don't want to drag anybody into this ministry. It's not going to end well. Okay? At the end of it, you get to fill out a response card if you want to, you know, start the process to get licensed or if you want to find another way to serve or if it's just, okay, I got more information to pray about now. This is no pressure informational meeting. It's a high overview. What does it mean to follow? So here's who should come. Some of you have been considering it and praying about it for a long time. Would you come? Just give you a chance to learn more. Okay. Some of you have said, I don't think I could, and you have your reasons. Would, would, you, just, would you just lay that reason before the Lord and say, okay, I'm just going to take a step closer. I'm not all in. I don't know if I can be all in, but can, I'll just take a step closer, Lord. I'm going to trust you, God, that you, Jesus was drawn towards, step toward the vulnerable people in his ministry all the time. There were people screaming at him, don't you know he's a leper, Jesus? Don't touch him. (laughs) Jesus walks right up boldly, touches them, and his holiness changes them instead of tainting, instead of their contamination tainting him. It's It's a beautiful sign. This is what the world needs to know about God's people is we see and we move toward the broken and hard places and the people that are suffering there. So would you be willing to step toward? Who else should come? If you know somebody and you love somebody that's in this work, would you just come to know more about the work? So you've got a foster family in your community group? Would you just come? Will you give two hours to just learn more about the work? It will help you. It will help you know what they're going through. It'll help you know what the process is. It'll help you know what to ask and what not to ask. It'll help you know just, just how to pray for them and how to help them. Would you do that? Again, this is a no pressure. We're not going to call you and follow up and ask if you're you're ready to take a kid yet. That's not how this works. But this is an informational overview session, and I would love to fill it up with journey people who are saying, I don't know yet, but I see, and I'm going to take a step toward. A step toward. Clear call to action today. That's what I'm asking you for. June 5th. Restore has these uh, every other month here in Williamson County. We've scheduled a special one for journey people. 
June 5th, Sunday night, 6 to 8. You can sign up right there. You, you can go on the app. You, you, literally, you can do that right now. Text that, text that number. It'll get you a link. You can sign up. If you got the app, there's a direct link on there. Uh, but sign up. Would you come? Would you, just, would you see and take a step toward? That's what I'm asking you to do. See, take a step toward. Let's show the world what it looks like to be Jesus' people. I saw somebody uh, put, a, put a question online the other day about the horrors of slavery and how that went on for generations. And there were, there were people living their lives that, that were kind of bystanders to that. And how horrific it must be to be on the other side of that and realize what evil was happening right under our nose. And he asked the question, what's, what is the next two or three generations down line going to look back at us and go, how in the world could they not see that? I think it's one of those issues, guys. Abortion's a horrific reality. But there is an even more compounding reality that if more babies are born, there's going to be more vulnerable people need us to step in and, and walk with them. Frankly, if the church was being the church the way that Jesus has called us to, I don't think the system would have to exist. But again, that's not how we've been wired. The world says, no, get as, get as far away from that stuff. Insulate, do all you can so you don't have to live in that world. Jesus says, no, no, first they're going to be last, last they're going to be first. It's going to look a whole lot different when people start following me. They're going to start turning away from the, the pursuit, the wide road that leads to destruction. Everybody's on that road to earn more money, more comfort, more stuff. People start following Jesus, and we start swimming upstream like those crazy salmon. You're like, what? why, man? You could go that way so much easier. Yeah, but my Jesus is that way. One of the ladies on the video said, we fail to realize the good stuff is in the heart. Jesus has blessings for you waiting. It will be worth it. Will you see and take a step toward. That's what I'm asking you to do. Just leave that up, Miranda. That's what I'm asking you to do. Come to a one-on-one. Two hours of your day. June 5th. That's a clear, simple response. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for loving us radically, for not leaving us in our sin. And I pray that you would help us to know the right response for us to step forward and to give us the faith and the courage to just to just do that, to see and to step toward like you've called us to. I pray that, that you would be about your business here at The Journey, Lord, that, that we would be able to discern the difference between guilt and conviction. That we would be able to discern the difference between wisdom and fear. That for those of us who, who know our reason, and it seems like a right one, if it's actually fear, would you expose that and give us the faith to step toward? Father, for those that they know their reason and it is, actually is wisdom, would you make it clear other ways they can wrap around and step in and still step toward even if they can't open their home? So I'm trusting you with this response. I'm trusting your word to do its work. If, if I've messed it up, if there's too much of me in this, would you take that out and would you just do this work and cause your people to respond? out of pure and undefiled religion. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.